Well, welcome to the first ever podcast for Sutton Hall, members Sutton Hall in North Yorkshire in the village of Sutton under White Stonecliffe. My name is David Lilly and I'm part of the business development team at Sutton Hall and our mission is to add as much value as we can to your membership here and so our first podcast covers a subject that works hand in glove with the travel industry, something that underpins your entire relationship with Sutton Hall. It's all about holiday making and exchanging to go to different parts of the world. Now, the insurance industry plays a vital part in the modern world, and we all know just how valuable and precious insurance is when we have to call on it in some of life's less pleasant scenarios. But despite the importance attached to insurance, many people still adopt too much of a light-hearted approach to choosing their insurance provider and the types of policies that they engage in. This podcast looks at everything insurance-related, but with a bias towards the older generation. I spent almost 40 minutes with the very experienced and knowledgeable insurance expert, Anthony Buckingham. Well, I'm grateful to be joined by Anthony Buckingham from Buckingham Insurance Company. They're a Derbyshire-based insurance broker with offices in Clown and Ripley, but also the ability to service people and businesses nationwide. Tony, welcome. First question for you is why do older people have greater challenges getting home insurance? Well, many of them have medical conditions that it's important that they make a full disclosure of the facts to the insurers to make sure that the policy actually covers them for what they think that they're, they're going to be covered for. We tend to find that uh, they're also more vulnerable to having accidents on uh, the motor side as well. We find that a lot of them drive small hatchbacks that are automatics and we tend to get a lot of small rear end shunts which lead to third party claims for personal injury and for credit higher, leading to fairly substantial claims. They're very surprising, really. They, uh, they, they are certainly more vulnerable in terms of making travel claims for, for their health conditions. We've had incidents where we found that we've had one lady who, who broke a hip in Tenerife, and unfortunately uh, she died as a result of the shock of the incident, and the body had to be repatriated. We had a recent incident where we had an, an elderly gentleman who had a heart attack in South Africa and they had to have some extensive treatment in South Africa before they could be repatriated back to the UK. These things do happen and they do. that's when people really need the support of their insurance company and they're not going to get it unless they've made a full disclosure of the pre-existing conditions to, to their insurers. Thank you for that, Tony. Let's look at travel insurance first. So clearly... Older people are statistically more likely to take ill abroad because we know none of us live forever and our bodies do start to degenerate as we get older, as two 50-year-olds like me and you would know, Tony. So how do insurers figure out a person's risk profile and what does this mean for the person looking to get that insurance? They they tend to have a, a, a profiling system where we load up all the information in respect to the different medical conditions and that that also looks at the link conditions. So if you've got, for example, blood pressure, then that will automatically lead into a subset of questions relating to cholesterol, diabetes, and so on. They're very, very clear in targeting the information. In terms of what you need to disclose, I would say it's fairly simple, really. If you're taking a tablet for it, then you probably need to disclose that to us. Um, we asked, we've asked people before to bring in, bring in a list of the tablets and 
then we just sit there and, and ask them what they're taking them for. And then there are other things that you're not taking anything for. For example, if, if you're a diabetic and you're controlled by diet, like myself, then you need to disclose that as well because that's part of the overall uh, risk profile. So if you're a diabetic who's got blood pressure, cholesterol, just like myself, then that's important that you declare that. Uh, it's interesting, Tony. I know people who've got a mindset whereby they may choose not to declare what they regard as a minor ailment, such as diabetes that doesn't require medication that you are treating through your food intake. But surely doing that is actually potentially going to cause you problems in the event of a claim. Is that fair? The one thing that I would always say is that if you're in a, a medical emergency, the insurers will always find out because invariably what ends up happening is that the person that's reporting this in your, on your behalf won't possibly be party to what you've told them and, and will automatically give them the full facts of your, your personal circumstances. And if they don't, certainly the medical practitioners will do that. It's going to be increasingly difficult as we, as we, as we go forward as well as as the pound seems to have weakened, the cost of medical treatment abroad is increasing as well. So you're going to place yourself at more financial risk by not declaring the full facts if you end up with the bill because you've not declared everything. Yeah, you make a good point there about the pound. And uh, from what I've read recently, the pound is worth 12% less today than it was before the Brexit vote. It's it's very considerable and it's leading, leading to a, a significant increase in the cost to insurers, and that's now being fed back down into premiums. Tend not to have currencies on stock to a large degree, apart from the, the major currencies. They'll have the euro and they'll have the dollar. They'll have some of those in stock, but eventually that runs out because they, they do have to pay claims on an ongoing basis. So, Tony, let's walk through a fictional scenario. Imagine someone has gone on holiday, they have a bad heart, they've had a heart attack in the past, they haven't declared that in their travel insurance policy application. Sadly, they get on holiday, they have a heart attack, which is actually not life-threatening, so they get treated by the hospital, they present their insurance papers, and it transpires in the sureness of time in the investigation that follows in the claim that that person's had a heart attack. What happens in that scenario? We then end up eventually at a position where, where the, the claim is refused, if you're in the EU and you've got a European health card, then you're going to receive the treatment in hospital in Europe, but you won't get any aftercare and you won't you won't get repatriated. That will all be down to you. You just receive the basic basic health care. If you're in the US, you'll probably end up in somewhere like ER and uh, heaven help you if you end up in somewhere like that. Now then, you mentioned something really interesting there, Tony, which touches on Brexit the European health card obviously we are about to exit the European Union what is going to happen after we've done that as far as that European health card is concerned and how does that influence the world of travel insurance going forward we don't know at this stage this is the thing that's really proving a little unfair on on businesses generally we don't would actually like an insight at this stage as to what's actually going to happen post brexit uh, we need this impasse to be removed so so business can proceed in an orderly direction. So it appears fair to conclude, Tony, that if and when we do exit the European Union, as the British population have voted for, that that European health card will disappear, and anyone that takes ill 
in a European country will have to have their own travel insurance to cover that comprehensively without any questions. Unless an agreement is reached on it, they won't get treated. If, as it stands today, we leave uh, the EU on is it the 31st of October, the yeah. new date, yeah. and we leave without any any deal going forward, then you won't be covered for under your European health card. That is the, that is the current position. So to emphasise massively and for the avoidance of any doubt, if Brexit occurs with no deal, then it is mission critical that anyone going overseas has the right type and level of travel insurance cover. Oh, ab- absolutely, yeah. It, it will be a big risk that they'll be carrying themselves if they, if they don't take out some some travel insurance. Clearly, we're touching one of the many areas of Brexit that perhaps some people, both in government and those people who voted, have actually not thought through or, or weren't fully aware of that. Moving on then, because we're not here to talk about Brexit. So what would your advice be to any older person looking to get appropriate travel insurance? For example, which parts of the policy should people pay most attention to? And are there smarter ways to buy such policies? Definitely the medical cover. Medical emergencies can be incredibly expensive. And make sure you've got full cover for all your medical conditions by making sure that you give them a full disclosure. We tend to find that we, we do have claims for that, for that age group of people and they're often for the things that they've already declared to us. They do need to be protected. The other thing as well that we also find is that a lot of elderly people aren't quite so solid on the feet as they might have been when they were younger, and we get quite a lot of claims for things like broken limbs. Um, we we had a recent uh, claim for uh, an elderly gentleman from, from Cresswell who he was on holiday visiting relatives in Australia, and he fell and broke his leg. He was trying to do something that he probably could have done a bit easier when he was 20 years ago, mm. climbing, climbing up, up, up a bit of a rock face, only about two or three feet, but slipped and, and, and broke his leg. And uh, the insurers picked up the full tab for his, his treatment and his, his, his rehabilitation because he had to stay a little while longer than he planned uh, before he could come home. I think the total bill on that one were about £55,000. Goodness me. Yeah. So these, these, things, these things do happen. That uh, the the best the best thing that people can do is really speak to a professional insurance broker that's got an understanding of travel insurance, and have generally got a panel of insurers that they can work with. So they're not tied down to the the one insurer. It's very difficult to do this over over the internet and remember everything that you've got. You're best sitting down, having a bit of a plan, and preparing all the information and then speaking over the phone to an expert insurance broker or speak to uh, or call in and see them. Call in and see them is the best way, really, because you, you get a feel for the business that you're dealing with and, 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 and speaking to. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but be prepared to, to give, give the full information. That's, that's the absolute must. So the key takeaway for me so far, Tony, when it comes to travel insurance, and you've made this point loud and clear, is that when you are applying for travel insurance – Declare your medical conditions, and to your point, I really like this. If you're taking a tablet on an ongoing basis, that's because you've got a medical condition, then you need to declare that. Moving on, I know another point you made before we started recording is the importance of actually taking out your holiday insurance at the time you book your holiday. Why do you insist that that's so important, Tony? 
Yeah, the, the moment that you take out the policies, the moment the cover commences. Now, we also find that a lot of older people tend to book very nice holidays, uh, very long distance holidays. We've just been quoting for a, an elderly gentleman who uh, is going on a cruise that, that goes through the Panama Canal, uh, up the western side of the U- US, down to American Samoa, Fiji, finishing in New Zealand. I think the cost of his cruise is about £12,000. So he's probably paid a deposit, I don't know, what's a deposit on holiday, David? 25%? 25-30%. Like yeah, so he's probably paid £3,000 up front. Now, if you don't, not taking the travel insurance out straight away would mean that that £3,000 would be at risk because he won't be insured until for the cancellation cover until the policy is taken out. Yeah. Now, the other key point of that is that when you take the policy out, it basically does, doesn't affect the price. So you're, not, you're only really covering the, the financial aspect of the cost of the holiday as well as your activities and, uh, during the duration of the holiday. So it, it's not financially detrimental. You're not paying for a longer period of cover by taking it out as soon as you, take, as soon as you book the holiday. Okay, Tony, so what about someone like me who travels abroad maybe four or five times a year on holiday but also travels across the UK on leisure breaks? What type of policies out there are suitable for someone like me? Is there what I would call a catch-all travel policy that would cover all of Europe? What would you recommend in that regard? What's out there? Yeah, we can do annual policies. You can do them on a, a, on a fairly restricted basis. So you could do, say, for example... Uh, a European type policy or dare I say EU policy or you can extend that to do a worldwide policy and from there on you can probably extend it to do a worldwide policy including USA and Canada now um, and and that policy will generally cover any trip that's no more than 31 days in duration you can often extend that if you're going for a longer break but I would say 90% of people fit into the up to 31 days uh, duration so it uh, uh, and from there as well the, the, there are policies for people who may take longer holidays so for example we get people who take who take a, a year out and go backpacking and and they need annual cover uh, they don't have the same uh, cover requirements as in terms of property that you get for uh, you know, an elderly person who's on a long distance cruise for, for a number of weeks, but they certainly have a medical insurance requirement that needs to be extended to cover them for the duration of the whole trip. So in your experience, Tony, what are the cost economics of that then? So what are the advantages of taking a global catch-all policy that covers all your travel inside a year anywhere in the world versus taking out a travel policy for every individual single trip? It generally is is beneficial, but you do get to a certain age where it does just get to be difficult to do anything other than individual policies. So once you get over 75, it does get far more difficult to take out annual policies. And that's partly because it's a constant, constantly changing scenario in terms of health and your ability to travel and so on. So, so they they do tend to look at 
at past that age looking at individual policy. I guess most people listening to this, specifically business people, have heard the four words GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, which was brought in to tighten up the old Data Protection Act. So with insurance in mind, let me give you an example. Someone like me is booking travel insurance. Is there a central database that insurers can access to see what my medical claims history is or what my claims have been on my travel insurance related to medical? There won't be in terms of medical history or or claims history on travel insurance. That only really applies for uh, motor insurance where we've got the uh, insurance fraud uh, investigations department uh, yeah. which is co-funded by both the insurers and the police. But in terms of that aspect of it, generally people people will trip themselves up. Uh, there is also no requirement on a travel insurance policy to declare previous claims either. Yeah. Now, that is very interesting, Tony. That does surprise me. In fact, there are a few things that have surprised me that have been of interest in this discussion so far. Certainly the th- point you came up with about the European health card was a real surprise and in that I've not thought about it, and I'm sure I'm not on my own in that. Yeah. Well, and one other thing I would point out as well, just sort of going a little bit off track, is that people that do take longer holidays, your standard household insurance tends to only only cover you for a maximum of 30 days of the property unoccupied. So if you're going to, say, an apartment you've got in Spain for a couple of months during the winter, you need to speak to your home insurers about that to make sure that they know that you're going to be out of your property for a couple of months during the winter. And they may put a few stipulations on what you need to do in terms of draining the system and things like that. So, so you don't put yourself at risk to a leak and a significant water damage claim. And the likelihood, Tony, is that the older generation who are in, let's say, comfortable retirement and who can afford to travel more, they aren't going to be as home as much, are they? Oh, we're finding it increasingly that uh, that we're finding older people taking uh, uh, some fairly exotic holidays to some fairly exotic places. Uh, it's... Uh, it's it's amazing, really. I mean, th- this guy was doing the, this this cruise. He was ninety three, and he was taking his sixty three year old niece with him for company. So, Incredible. You know, I mean, she, in 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 previous years, she'd have been regarded as, as an older traveller, but not anymore. Sixty three is not old anymore. You're but a young spring chicken, aren't you? <laughs> what a wonderful experience for that gentleman to be travelling the world at the age of ninety three with his sixty three year old niece. Fabulous. Moving on again, Tony. So there are various types of insurance that are attached to some of our payment cards. So, for example, I have an American Express card that purports to have two hundred and fifty thousand pounds worth of accident travel accident cover. I also have something linked to my TSB. A bank account which looks at travel insurance as well are these adequate for purpose these insurances attached to our payment cards well often a lot of these policies do exclude any pre-existing medical conditions and you know that quite simply because they won't they won't have asked you about them if they've not asked you they can't cover it hmm. so very carefully read read the small print uh often tucked away somewhere will be some sort of helpline where you can ring up and they will do some medical screening to see if they can cover the uh, the medical conditions uh, the other thing as well uh, that that those policies are often linked to the to make the account holders 
and and this is a general point about travel insurers if if you're traveling on a holiday and uh, there's a group of you then really you all need to be on the same policy because one may affect the others with not making a full disclosure so for example it it's not not any good for uh, say a, a wife to have a, a, the free bank insurance and the husband to take out uh, a policy because he with a with an insurance broker because he's got medical conditions because the wife would need to come back with the husband if there was a medical emergency or or stay over so they would both need to be on the same policy so it can be underwritten correctly because it would be effectively double double the claim in some respects so so that that's often a a, a bit of a a flaw in these policies as well in these free policies it's not enough to just simply think that well i'll be covered by that because he's covered by that so on to the subject of different genres or types of travel insurance walk us through some of the different types of travel insurance policies that are out there tony i mean we do anything from a uk travel policy with people getting on coach tours and uh, short breaks uh, to uh, your European holidays, your worldwide policies, uh, your worldwide including Canada. We, we get business travel policies. Some people take out cover for those activities, uh, if they're travelling with equipment and so on. So, for example, like yourself, David, if you're going to do go and do an interview in Germany with someone, uh, you'll probably take most of this kit with you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a decent amount of money's worth of kit. So... It can never be described as personal equipment, so you need you need some uh, business travel insurance for that. Uh, we we can cater for all the, all those type of eventualities. Um, we we also uh, as I say look look at the back backpackers and long stay holidays. Um, we we do the, the gap year people. Uh, you know this any any form of holiday really. Uh, there are so many different things we'll we'll find one way of uh, uh, fitting it into one of the wide range of products that we offer so on the surface tony we all know how easy it is to actually buy some of our different insurance types online but in your many years experience what are the benefits of someone actually picking up the phone and speaking to a broker or better still going into a an office and visiting them what are the benefits for the actual customer in those areas you get a professional personal service. Um, the problem is when you buy over the internet, as soon as you need to speak to someone, it be- becomes incredibly difficult. Um, and the, the other thing as well is a lot of the, the, the brands that you see on, on comparison sites, for example, you don't really know who the insurer is. Uh, it might be an insurer that has no financial security rating, now that might not appear very important to the man in the street, but that's something that a, a, a risk that the broker will underwrite. We won't use an insurer for this type of insurance where we can't ascertain the financial rating of that company. Now, we, we, the biggest travel insurer in the UK, who shall remain nameless, have no financial security rating. And uh, that's a massive risk because have they got any money? What will happen if all those 
if all their policies get cancelled, or if they're unable to fulfil them, yeah, yeah, or if yeah. there's a catastrophe in a major disaster in a country where lots of people are on holiday, absolutely, yeah, 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 and, and or if you're caught on holiday and say they were to fail, uh, it's not like motor insurance where there's some protection you've simply left as a creditor. And we have seen uh, natural disasters in places like Thailand in the last 15 years, also. Ash clouds that have seen people stranded in different countries, not to mention airlines literally going bust overnight and leaving people stranded in their holiday destination. Yeah, yeah, and uh, obviously there's uh, all sorts of incidents that we've seen. There's definitely a trend for an increasing uh, amount of natural disasters as, as climate appears to be changing. I think at one point, Tony, the general consumer thought that this all this talk of global warming was scaremongering but i think with science and evidence today as it is we are seeing the planet get warmer so i don't think there's any doubt whatsoever about that some very good tv series and documentaries on netflix about that very subject of protecting the planet yeah yeah i i I agree you've only got to look at our own little world around here and the the water shortages that seem to be coming up over the last couple of years and then uh, the moorland fires that we seem to be having in in, in spring and winter now. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's quite quite alarming, really. Mm. So we've talked a lot about travel insurance for older people, but how does age affect people with their car and home insurance? Yeah, I mentioned briefly that uh, car insurance, your premium does start to go up when you're over seventy, and particularly when you're over seventy-five, because you are vulnerable to having that accident where uh, you might pop, bump, run into the back of a car when you're going shopping or something like that. It's very, very difficult because insurers don't want to push elderly people from driving cars because they, know, they understand that it's often their only means of transport in an era where public transport, unless you live in a city, is, is incredibly minimal. Uh, but... Uh, there are definite risks, and we do see these particular accidents where the rear end shunts, where they run into the to the back of uh, other cars, and it, you know there'll be two or three people on that car. Then there'll be a whiplash claim and a crate hire claim, and you'll have you'll have say two or three thousand pounds worth of damage, and then probably twenty thousand pounds worth of dam- dam- cover for for the likes of personal injuries, solicitors' fees. Uh, and the higher cars, uh, it's it, the, the costs mount up. So if you're paying, you know, three or four hundred pounds for your insurance, it takes an awful long time to get for the insurer to get that money back. Mm. Uh, let's look at another example then, Tony. So let's take someone like me, been driving over thirty years. Touch wood, I have never had an accident that I've claimed for. But despite my no claims, as I get older and I get into my sort of sixties and seventies. Are you saying that there will be a natural tendency because of my age for my insurance policy cost to increase? It will do, yes. Statistically, you are more likely to have an accident. It's the it's the under twenties and over seventies are, are, are the big risk categories. That, uh, but the one thing that might might save all that is that we're obviously moving on towards a period now where we're going to be moving towards autonomous cars. So. Um, And that'll come a lot quicker than people think. Well, I'll tell you, that's interesting you should mention that. I was driving a friend's car down the M1 the other night, going to 
watch Sheffield Sharks basketball and hers is a very modern new car, brand new, and it's got this line sensing technology. So if you stray a little bit too close to the white lines, the steering adjusts you back into the middle and it also detects if you're too close to the car in front and actually applies the brakes for you. So it actually feels quite strange. It feels like you're actually losing control. Now, I do like the thoughts of being able to get into a car, turn on the key, put put the destination into sat-nav, and have a sleep while the car takes you there, or better still, sit in a seat with a little table like you do on a train and be able to have a cup of tea and uh, use your laptop and maybe even watch something. But I'm not quite sure that, based on what I've seen, I'll ever be comfortable with that. You're finding now that he, that that sort of technology is on cars like Kia's and Hyundai, um, and if anybody thinks that uh, automation of cars is not coming, have a look at the ad- new Citroen advert that's just come on TV. Mm. It's a lot closer than people think, and this may be the saving grace ultimately for uh, for for the older driver. Yeah, the point is, Tony, that much of this technology is there already. We've already mentioned that you can get in a car and it can stay in between two white lines without you holding the steering wheel. It can detect that there's a car in front and cause your car to break or even stop. We've got satellite navigation that can take you to a precise point in time. And we know from the various different tests, if you go on YouTube and put sort of automated cars, you'll see all sorts of tests that have been done without any issues. So... You're absolutely right. We're there already, pretty much. It's just that that technology has not been taken to market sufficiently yet. The questions for me are things like, what's it going to do when it snows? And what's it going to do on a single track lane when uh, uh, you've got two cars heading towards each other and there's nowhere to go? Yeah. Those, those, those are the sorts of questions that, that people are going to need to be satisfied about before they, before they make the jump. So how about the impact of age on the cost of someone's home insurance. So when we get older, how are our home insurance policy premiums affected? Do they go up or down? Well, what you tend to find is that older people are in the in the homes a lot more by nature of, of not having, you know, a, a working life at that stage. So so automatically the risk of burglary and it, it is reduced and you tend to find that people by that stage are downsizing a little bit, so they don't have quite the same amount of garden gardening equipment that that you might have had previously. The same amount of tools. Um, it, it, it's those sort of things that uh, impact on uh, the claim statistics. So, because often you, you see it, you see it on Facebook, for example, all the time about people having. Uh, sheds and garages uh, broken into and the sort type of things will be taking uh, tools, gardening equipment, uh, bicycles and the, the things that, that tend not to be uh, owned by, 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 by the older policy holder. Um, so it's, it's, it's just a, a, natu- a natural thing really and they tend to generally live in uh, uh, quite a lot of newer properties as well and newer properties you, you get less claims on because they built to modern modern building standards and building regulations uh, that that helps as well um it's you file a slab let's have a, a wiring fault in a property that's that's two or three mm. year old and one that's 30 years old it's just a simple fact of life well we've only been speaking for almost 30 minutes tony and 
you've already given us a fascinating insight into things about insurance that I didn't know well enough will certainly change my attitude towards buying insurance going forward. So what we haven't done so far is talk hugely about yourself and the company that you're managing director of, Buckingham Insurance. So give us a background of who you are and specifically what type of insurances that you specialise in offering. Yeah, we, this this is our 30th year in business. We're, we're looking to have a party in October. Uh, um, when I first started, I had a bit more hair, a bit like you, to be fair. But, <laughs> Grass doesn't grow on yeah, a busy street, don't No, it? absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it, historically, we've always come from a background of, of personal insurance, so motor, home and travel insurance. But over the last 15 years or so, we've really diversified, up, diversified down the business insurance route. Um we, we do very, very large policies for pe- people like airport car park operators, on-call doctor services, uh, large manufacturing companies, companies that are in the top 30 companies in, in Derbyshire, uh, right through to your tradesman's policy, your media and professional's policy with your professional indemnities and your, your public and employer's liability. Sounds like a bit of a shopping list. You know, vulnerable about getting dragged into doing that but uh, uh, but really we're in a position where we can consider any any form of insurance to, to give you two or three examples of, of, of risks that we did last week uh, we arranged some cover for public and employers liability for a local scaffolding company um, we did for a, a company in Grimsby uh, who manufacture bespoke uh, trailers for for holidays uh, so the, the guy was from a caravan uh, background and uh, we've uh, done a a, a, a motorway policy for a, a significant company that uh, are all involved in heavily modified vehicles that are heavily modified for performance so uh, you know they're just it's, a few brief examples of the type of things that we've done. Well, we've also done quite interesting one for this guy that does some quite unusual horse blankets or something like that as well. So literally what I'm hearing you say, Tony, is that almost any type of insurance, be that home, car, travel, or business insurance, professional indemnity, public liability, business contingency, you can pretty much offer everything? That's the diff- That's the difference about us. We are... A traditional full service insurance broker. There aren't many people who do both personal insurance and business insurance nowadays. People tend to be one or the other, but we've always made our policy of, of, of doing both. So, so Tony, you have two physical offices: one in Clown in Derbyshire and the other one in Ripley. But you are able to transact with people wherever they are in the United Kingdom over the phone. So, do you want to just share your main phone line number with people? Yeah, they can call us on 01246 And I should add also that people can find you on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and via website, buckinghaminsurance.co.uk. Tony, thank you so much for sparing your time for me today and for the listeners, a really useful insight into everything about insurance. That's right. Yeah. Yes, David. Thank you.